Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to the Family Life Canada podcast. We're Neil and Cheryl Josephson, the directors of Family Life Canada. And our passion and the passion of our whole team, our whole Family Life team across Canada is helping marriages and families grow. Come healthy, stay healthy. You know, a lot of the things we talk about on this podcast are uplifting and they're encouraging. And some of them are difficult. Today's one of those days, right, where we're going to talk about some hard things, but really, really, really important things, okay? We're talking about today the impact of male sexual trauma on the men themselves, on their marriages, on their families, on their relationships. And our guest today is somebody who knows a lot about this, has a great deal of wisdom. Dr. Kelly Palfi is a registered psychologist working in private practice in Edmonton. The focus of her PhD dissertation was male sexual survivor, male survivors of sexual abuse, and in particular, why they so seldom report their mm. abuse. So advocating for and helping men heals the focus of her practice and the focus of her recent book, Men Too, Unspoken Truths About Male Sexual Abuse. Mm. And I just finished reading it. It is a heartbreaking and educational and hugely important book. So welcome to the Family Life Canada podcast. Yes, welcome. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's an honor to have you. And I tell you, your book is wonderful, painfully difficult, heartbreaking to read, but really, really important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and you know, it's hard for you to read if, uh, especially if you're not a victim, but I've been hearing from victims that it's actually kind of well, difficult to read, but also sort of refreshing because they know they're not the only one. And my, my goal, one of the readers emailed me and said, um, you put words to what I didn't previously understand. And I was like, that's what I intended. Yes. <laughs> so Validating. Yeah, no, I can, I can only imagine how crucially important it is. So now we touched on it a bit in the introduction, but how you came to be involved in this work, but there's way more to the story. So walk us through a little bit of the, but your background and how you got to this point to be such an advocate and um, focus on this particular area. Okay, I'll give you the short version because a long okay. version is about a 20-minute answer. So the short version is my goal in life prior to doing the work I do was to become a police officer. And one of those stepping stones was to work in corrections. And when I worked in corrections, um, I just became aware of how many male, males there were in prison compared to females. And I questioned why that was. Why was there such a disproportionate number? It literally didn't make sense to me. Um, fast forward, I made it into the RCMP and I was working in the behavioral sciences unit, working in the child exploitation unit, and they were training me to be a subject matter expert. And at one of the training sessions, um, Sheldon Kennedy came and spoke to us and he gave us a private lecture about his abuse. And it was heartbreaking for like your experience of reading my book. It was the first time that I had heard about Hmm. males as victims and, I mean, it was obvious that his abuse was um, significant, devastating. Um, he he said, uh, I can't believe I'm in a room full of cops. And he was literally just shaking. And I was like, he means that. Like, he's obviously mm-hmm. here because he has something important to say. So um, he talked about, you know, he talked about the reasons he didn't report and, you know, reasons to do with his career and his career lifting his family out of poverty. One other thing that he said that really broke my heart was that he felt that um, his some of his teammates' player, some of his teammates' parents knew that he was being abused, or at least Hmm. should have known, like should have at least suspected, and did nothing. And I just I was shocked by that. And he talked about um, 
you know, substance abuse and all that stuff. And it was like, it was like right there in the room, God turned the light on. It was like, that's the answer to your question as to why there's so many men in prison. And, you know, also, so I was the, in the, in that unit, I was the file coordinator for the RCMP's first, we call it sex tourism charge when it first came out in 2004. And, um, uh, you know, like I say, I was deemed one of the experts by this point, and my boss told me not to worry about the boys, and I didn't even question that decision. Wow. And, yeah. Um, one other thing Sheldon Kennedy talked about was leaving, living this double life, and mm-hmm. at the time, I was experiencing bullying, significant bullying, to the point where I ended up leaving that career. I developed PTSD myself, and honestly, it's what brought me to my knees. I was desperate to find something else to be passionate about. And God just kind of reminded me of Sheldon Kennedy's lecture. And, you know, just that, you know, I mean, selfishly, I guess I wanted to do something important and meaningful. And um, Mm. yeah, honestly, I I had clinical depression. And it was like, God just turned this little light on me when, when, um, when I was reminded of this. And I was just I just knew that I could get passionate about this and I knew that it was very important and necessary work. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that's how I developed it. <laughs> yeah. And then you did your, your, your university work, your PhD and, yep. and here you are in private practice and yep. a lot of your clients, um, this is their story. Yep. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. So I conducted my research examining why, like I thought after his lecture, there must be other reasons. Like we knew his reasons, but he, he was a very unique person as a pro athlete. So I wanted to know what, you know, the layperson's uh, reasons for not reporting were. So yeah. So I conducted mm-hmm. my doctoral research examining exactly that. And I was very fortunate. I got what we call very rich data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay. I got a lot of, yeah, I got a lot of really, important um, points of knowledge uh, that I wanted to share with the public. Well, let's jump in there and, and, and on this particular issue of why we know so little about this. So the Me Too movement uh, in an overdue way, and we're thankful for the revelations that came forth, but all of a sudden we started to see the depth and the breadth and the, the tragedy of sexual abuse, but mostly uh, about the women victims, mm-hmm. uh, almost invisible or non-president at all, were, were uh, male stories. Uh, what, what, why is that? Mm-hmm. Why do so many men not disclose? Well, that, as you read in my book, was the absolute focus what? of my book. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the reasons, well, I'll give you some of the ones that kind of really surprised me to start off. So, um, Things like um, protecting their parents. This was very common in healthy families. Well, in, I would say like in the maybe wounded well family, I would call it like, for example, um, one of my participants in my research, his mother had severe MS and he was abused Mm. by a cousin whom they'd sent Mm. him to, to visit because they needed a break from parenting, right? Absolutely understandable when you've got a sick parent. So, he recognized how overwhelmed his parents were and didn't want to burden them with more. Uh, and that's wow. very common. Mm. Another, mm. another really common um, reason, especially in, you know, reasonably healthy families is my parents were pastors and they had such a good reputation and I didn't want to wreck their, their reputation or my dad was an elder in the church or, or my offender was an elder in the church and I didn't think anybody would believe me just not wanting to bring that shame on the family, not wanting to risk being, yeah. Hmm. Not wanting to risk being. In some cases I, in your book, I read, they didn't, some of the men didn't actually um, 
label what had happened to them as abuse. Yeah. Absolutely, because offenders, we know that sexual abuse, when it's perpetrated against children, um, 90% of the time or more, it's um, the offender is someone very well known and loved by the family, typically, which is to me, even scarier than the idea of stranger danger, because like we all would like to believe that we have good gut instincts and stuff, but offenders will purposefully try to be seen as the least likely person you would ever suspect, which is, again, horrifying. But yeah, they will put themselves in these positions so that... Um, so that they have opportunity. And uh, yeah, so the, a lot of it is um, confusion because the boy will say, but, you know, I mean, the offender will purposefully try to leave the victim confused. Like we are, we're, you know, we're, we're you know, it's just our relationship is very close or they'll use, um, they'll use the evidence that the boy was aroused as evidence that they enjoyed it and mess with their heads around that idea. And just, you know, leave them confused, leave them believing that they were willing participants. So, mm. um, well, for starters, a lot of the abuse occurs when the children are so young, they don't understand sexual matters, sure. period. So they don't know that what happened was sexual. But if they do have knowledge about sex, so sexual matters, they often are confused, like I say, because because there was a, a quote-unquote healthy relationship with the offender prior to the abuse happening, they feel guilty. They feel like they led their perpetrator on somehow. And of course, the perpetrator will work very hard to make them feel that way. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the more shocking things I read in your book is that many uh, male victims refuse to tell their story because they believe that people will assume that their experience has led them to have the same sort of predisposition to become sexual predators themselves. How terrible to have that hanging over your head. Absolutely. And Cheryl, I'm glad you brought that up because the, the research just doesn't support that in the general population. There are certain populations that it does support it, for example, in the prison population, and unfortunately mm -hmm. also in the First Nations population. But in the general population, um, the, the rate of reoffending is less than 10% of victims mm -hmm. become offenders. Wow. The, yeah, this myth. Could I you just repeat that. Could you yeah. just repeat that? Because I don't think that's what people believe. Absolutely, less than ten percent of male victims are are known to become offenders again. The mm. reason they're to become offenders themselves, I should say, not mm -hmm. again. Um, mm. The reason there is such a misconception is because offenders will often claim that they were victims in order to get leniency in the courts, but. Mm. Wow. Research has shown that the same, um, like we're talking the, the real severe offenders, the narcissistic, um, yeah. um, psychopathic offenders, which, by the way, would be the bulk of who's doing these offenses, I believe. But when they are challenged with this idea of, you know, the, you know they're saying about 70% will say that they were victims themselves. Then when we threaten them with a polygraph, that number drops to 30%. Hmm, Without even administering the polygraph itself, that number went from 70 to 30. So wow. that, that statistic is just simply not reliable. But I can tell you that, you know, everybody that I have ever spoken to, they have a huge fear that they could somehow hmm. accidentally slip into offending, but they have no desire to do it. Yeah. Wow. Man. So, so this, uh, we've already talked about that, that men don't disclose and you talked a little bit about maybe why. Let's talk about the impact mm -hmm. on their closest relationships. So I, in your book, I think 
was the number from one to 59 years, some of your subjects ultimately disclosed, but there was a long period of time. And help us understand what that does to key relationships, whether you're married or just key relationships in your life. What does it do? Well, I mean, there. Okay, I just want to add that there would be impacts right from childhood, from when when they're abused. But definitely, as adults, they're going to have trust issues. They're going to mm-hmm. have like their abuse is going to taint how they see themselves, how they see the world around them, and how they see sure. the other people in their lives. So they will have what we call attachment issues. I'm sure you're familiar with that term. Yeah, uh, yeah the ability to you know have healthy attachments. They may avoid intimacy. And if they're trying, if they have not disclosed their abuse, they, this takes great effort to avoid the topic because any sort of intimacy could lead to a discussion. So they absolutely avoid intimacy, a lot of them. Uh Absolutely. Yeah. You can't see Neil, but he was just pushing, pushing people, pushing people away because. How, yeah. If you let people close, then they'll know. Mm. They'll Absolutely. learn. Well, not so much that they'll know, but I might accidentally disclose to you because uh. it's on the tip of my tongue. I want to talk about it. I'm in so much pain. I think about it every day, but I'm working very hard not to do that. And if you, it's almost like if you mm. get too close to the bloom with a pen, it's going to pop. Mm, sure. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I can't imagine the kind of effort that uh, I'll let you continue, but I can't yeah. imagine the kind of effort that takes to keep the secret mm-hmm. inside and the energy it takes. Absolutely. Right. Like I say, like, you know, there's just this, anytime we get close, I'm going to have to push you away. And I might do that through picking a fight, through distracting, mm-hmm. through, um, you know, just having music playing when we're, you know, not appropriate music when we're supposed to be being intimate, anything to sort of change that tone, that mood, um, anything to keep you from getting too close. Now that could be because I don't want to trust you. I don't want to love you that much because it's going to hurt if I get, like, I'm not willing to take that risk because if you hurt me, I couldn't survive it would be the fear, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lots of Lots of escape behaviors, you know, to get away from the pain. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, Could be things like, um, you know, they isolate themselves in the garage for days on end, or they're super focused on, um, you know, sports that that engage in, you know, acts of hypermasculinity, like excessive weightlifting or driving super fast or, you know, getting the biggest guns out there to hunt with, that kind of thing, right? Like anything to prove their own masculinity to themselves. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, sorry. So, no, I just want to, I want to move to the happy part, <laughs> um, partly because it's just so hard to sit with this, but you have seen healing when people mm. do disclose and they go after, after some real healing. Tell, tell us a little bit about what that feels like. You've walked with some of these men, counseled them, and you've seen them come out with some freedom on the other side. Absolutely. Freedom is possible, right? Especially in Christ. Um, But I am, yeah. So like with clients, I'm first thing I'm going to do, which is a a little bit about what I touched on in my book. My intention is to write more of a workbook for male survivors in the future, but um, I'm going to teach them about triggers and how to recognize when they're triggered, how to identify, you know, the things that will trigger them so they can predict that, how to manage those triggers, um, how to manage their nightmares, um, and 
and, and more importantly, challenge or equally as importantly, challenge all their negative beliefs that they have about themselves. Um, ch- you know, challenge those um, misconceptions and myths that they have about their uh, willingness and participation and able to ability to consent, etc. That kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to teach them about what a healthy relationship looks like, you know, um, sort of, um, you know, setting healthy boundaries for themselves, respecting other people's boundaries, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, obviously processing the trauma too, right? So just, um, yeah, you know, we, we always say shame hides in the dark. So if people can talk yeah. about yeah. that, yeah. they don't have to carry that shame anymore. So yeah. honestly, like I, I've had clients tell me I just dropped 10 pounds right there, you know? <laughs> Uh, which is yeah. probably why you do what you do Absolutely. just for those moments, huh? Oh. Absolutely. I get asked that a lot. And yes, mm-hmm. there are, there are moments that are hard and, and things, but I really focus on the process. I focus on mm-hmm. knowing that they have to get that out there. And that once, the, and I, I really just focus on feeling honored that they trust me, my clients trust me right. and, and, and focusing on creating that safe place for them to talk. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, I got lots of friends who are, psychologists and pastors and stuff if I ever need to debrief you know but just yeah watching them Mm. get freedom is probably the most rewarding thing I could do in life honestly Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah like the power of a secret is broken when you speak it to a trusted person yes yeah yeah and then even supporting them to tell the other people in their environment like helping them to find the language to set it up so that they don't have a bad experience like yeah I just worked with a fellow a couple of weeks ago on how to prepare his parents because he wanted to tell him he was sexually abused by his brother right Mm. that isn't going to be easy for them to hear so I we went through for two sessions we went through step by step by step for how to make sure that you know support them unfortunately as you disclose Mm. because you know it could go ugly right We're going to shift focus in just a second, but but I guess I just want to say this clearly and, and gently. If there's people listening mm-hmm. and this is part of your story, can you just really you know grab this part that even though disclosure might just seem almost impossible, um, the freedom that can come with a trusted person like Dr. Kelly or, or someone else, like don't. Don't be trapped in the silence. You've already been traumatized. You know, let's, let's, we want to encourage you to find the freedom. So, yeah. um, you've already had, somebody's already robbed your childhood or your adolescence. Yeah. Don't let them rob the rest of your life. Or mm-hmm. just- and I would actually add to that, Neil, if I may, I would say like, if you, if you get, like, if somebody doesn't believe you or they minimize it or something like that, find someone else who will, right? Like there's enough of us out there today that that do take this seriously. So Mm -hmm. try again if you've had a bad experience with disclosure. Yeah, good point. Hey, we're going to mention this again at the end, but it's it's kellypalfy.com, right? With an I, K-E-L-L-I-P-A-L-F-Y for for some help or resources. Mm -hmm. Hey, so here's the slight change in focus. It, It came up in your last response. Okay, so people that are listening, your parents, your grandparents, uh, you're just people who care about children in your circle. Uh, what do you recommend for us to educate our children, protect our children in, in, in this region? You know, 
I asked my supervisor that when I was at U of A about, um, you know, writing a book that we could read to kids. And, and her response to me was, we can't, we can't put the burden on children to protect themselves. But I'm sorry, as a police, a former police lady, I beg to differ in today's day and age. We have to educate children. There are mm. just too many active predators out there. So unfortunately, I think we do have to teach our children, um, actually myself and a, another psychologist in Edmonton who runs a children's sexual abuse treatment facility, we are just finishing a children's book series so that we can make those conversations easy for parents. Um. So yeah, so you literally just have to read them this book and and it talks about the grooming techniques, right? Like how a offender could be grooming a child and how like not everybody that we think is nice is always nice in the end they might start off nice and then they change right and tell your parents if this happens kind of thing and so then one book mm. on grooming one book on human trafficking and one book on um getting therapy okay. and they all, they all have happy endings they all involve puppies so Okay. <laughs> well, and what we a all tool. love puppies. And because I think the, the balance is trying to figure out how you, you don't want your children to become paranoid and not trust any adults right. because right. that's not healthy either. Yeah. No, for sure. But you, you do have to help children be at least alert to these things. And, and again, it was shocking to me as I read your book, how many of the victims knew their perpetrators intimately, yeah. you know, parents and yeah. I know. Like, that parents, was the ugly stuff to me. Parents, that one really shocked me. But it was me like too. it was a high number. Like I, I can't remember the exact number. What was it? Like six out of fourteen of my guys were abused by a bio parent. It's crazy. I cannot mm. fathom that. Mm. So I guess oh, you yeah. obviously can't protect children against their parents, or it's very difficult to protect them against their parents. But but some of the things that you talked about would help people have those conversations with their kids absolutely. to be alert. Yes, absolutely. And also, also not to engage in what we call willful blindness, right? Where you see something, but you right. go, oh my goodness, that would be too awful if that was true. So therefore, I'm just going just gonna to give this situation the benefit of the doubt. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. that is where, how children are left in bad situations all too often. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Any other wow. pointers for parents? Uh, I mean, obviously, we'll... We'll look forward to that book. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I can go through a few um, like physical warning signs just to pay attention to if you'd like. Yeah, let, let's do that. Again, with the caveat that we don't want to become paranoid. We don't want to deprive our children of all adult relationships out of fear. Um, we ourselves as parents don't want to live in fear. But what are some of the signs that we should be alert to as parents? Yeah, uh, Cheryl, absolutely. I, I just want to reiterate what you said. We don't want, you know, don't, I'm going to give you this list. I don't want parents to go, oh my gosh, my child does that and panic. If you hear or recognize one or one of these symptoms, watch for another one. So we start to like maybe more seriously consider that there could be abuse if we're seeing a few of these together or, you know, just, so yeah, so just like some of these are just natural childhood developmental phases, but when we start seeing a few of them together, we want to start paying a little bit better attention. So in really young children, you know, for example, if they were being abused by the opposite parent, they may develop a fear to go to sleep to, um, because the parent could be coming into the room at night. Um, conversely, we could have uh, a child, a situation where a child might be falling asleep in class. Now that could be because the only safe place to sleep is the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, or because the child is not getting adequate sleep because they're having nightmares about their abuse. So 
you know, we just want to pay attention to that a little bit. Um, also, you know, um, the class clown or the odd kid sometimes, right? Um, being the class clown is a great distraction from the traumas that they might be remembering. It also is a great distraction if kids don't understand the content, the material, right? And, and part of the reason they sometimes don't understand it is because they're so dysregulated, they can't pay attention. So, um, yeah, so um, in small children, you might see regression in the normal developmental stages. So a child could be, for example, well potty trained and then all of a sudden at age five they start wetting the bed again or something like that that's a big indicator um children with really low self-esteem children that are isolating themselves um sometimes children that are bullying other children because you know they're upset they're angry they want to take it out on someone else um isolating themselves children Mm -hmm. that kind of lose interest in hanging out with their normal a group of friends or something and just want to be alone in the bush or whatever, or they take an interest in dark poetry or dark clothing or drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. in older teens. Like, sorry. I was going to say, you kind of switch now to more adolescent ages. Are other symptoms of that age group? In the, in the youth and teens? Yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, this, this is something that people kind of misinterpret sometimes, but the biggest thing, thing I want to say we need to watch for is sudden changes in character. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. that is something that I think a lot of adults would just write off as, oh, he's a teenager now. But even yeah. teens, as you probably saw this in your own children and youth, uh, you know, they will go through changes, but not drastic and sudden. If we're mm-hmm. seeing drastic, sudden changes, that's a huge indicator something's not right. So, you know, they go like in my book, I talk about a few boys that, you know, used to go to church with grandma. And then when they started getting abused, they're all of a sudden rejecting God, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, wanted to be a pastor. And now all of a sudden they are just, you know, using drugs and being very sexually promiscuous and, you know, heavy into the alcohol and writing dark poetry, right? So, hmm. so I, I'm actually glad you, you raised that. Because I want to ask you about that question. Mm-hmm. So you're you're a Christ follower. You're you're a Christian, and a lot of the stories in your book, sadly, mm. were uh, people who were involved in the Christian church, residential schools, camp counselors, church youth groups, coaches, even who proclaimed they were Christian. So how do you help victims navigate the complicated way they see God and see faith? Like, yeah. does that become part of how you can? Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of a multifaceted question to answer. Like, like, no, it's okay. Like, first off, I would teach them about, you know, I would teach them about offenders, how offenders will purposely try to become the least likely person you would ever suspect. Mm. And they love to target Christians because they know that Christians are, we're all naive and we're all supposed to be nice and we're all supposed to believe the best in people. So perfect, perfect, you know, unfortunately, a perfect environment for a predator. Um, and then, you know, in, as far as the actual faith piece goes, like talking to them about how God, you know, God doesn't desire for them to be damaged like this, that, you know, sexual abuse is not like in his will. And, you know, I mean, I've told clients the story of, you know, what the Bible says about why God flooded the earth, you know, because he was disgusted by what was going on, right? And this is the kind of stuff that was going on. So, um, talk, you know, I talk about free will and that, you know, unfortunately their offenders chose to do this and that, you know, just because we feel like they get away with it now doesn't mean that they do in the end. And, you know, that God wants to be there to heal them and, and, you know, and that just, you know, those kinds of things. Right. And just, 
I kind of just dig in wherever there, wherever there's mm-hmm. some problem, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, no fat. I'm sure you guys yeah. could probably speak to that better than I do. Well, man, when you're walking with people in deep hurt, deep pain, deep yeah. trauma, yeah. man, it's 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 a hard place, but it's kind of a holy place too, right? Like it's yeah, so absolutely. so honest. Yeah. And and sometimes in those moments, I just try to share. You know, God is weeping. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the Bible's full of um, texts where it talks about the emotions. Absolutely. And, and, you know, God is broken that his children would suffer like this. And uh, yeah. important for people to understand that God's not impervious yeah. to the brokenness. Yeah. He never wanted to have happen. And I do, like, I'll dig into even what you just said and that, you know, like, God saw, God is the only person that saw exactly what happened yeah. to you and it broke his heart, right? It's not what right. he wanted for you. I I encourage them to take like little steps in like, you know, maybe just start to pray. Right. Maybe just. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's deep water, isn't it? Yeah. I I think of a, a, one young man who came up to me at one of our conferences and said that he, well, he asked me to pray and he said, I'm going to disclose to my wife that I was sexually abused as a child tonight. Would you please pray? And his sense was Mm. that that was sort of the last piece he needed for healing. I think God had been doing a good work in his heart, but now he felt like he wanted to invite his wife into that journey. Is that something you encourage people, you know, when there is a safe person in their life, do you encourage them to, to open up that secret vault? I do because, you know, we say shame hides in the dark, right? So, I, you know, we work a lot around how the abuse was not their fault and, um, you know, how it's impacting their relationship. Uh, You know, I, um, I, I just had a client, like he, he said to me in one of the, like, I, I advertise that I work with male survivors and I give out a handout that says, were you sexually abused? And I give it to everybody. And he clicked yes. He said, but we're never, ever, ever going to talk about it. Well, Hmm. he ended up buying my book and just left it laying around so that his wife could see and now it's all out in the open. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they have multiple, multiple, or sorry, competing priorities. Right? They want yeah. to have the secret out, yeah. and yet so terrified that it's going to destroy whatever measure of security and safety and love they already have. And absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, we talk about what their fears are and what, like, what you know. I, I help them to first. They have to believe it themselves that they are still fully a man, even though they were violated or whatever that kind of thing. And just you know, we talk about what improvements could come, and you know, just mm. how, how to mm. have that conversation, and you know, only disclose as much as you feel safe this time, and you know, probably should get another therapist involved for couples counseling just for a little bit to help you navigate those waters. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, that's what we would suggest. Yeah, yeah for sure. Put some boundaries, some safe boundaries yeah. around that conversation, but so important for couples to have that yeah well kelly we cannot thank you enough for the work you're Hmm. doing i mean Hmm. we (laughs) our heart as you can probably tell is that everyone would be in healthy and whole relationships and we know that the this sexual abuse in your story really has an impact on the current relationships in your life and we want people to find freedom in christ Mm-hmm. Through good counselors mm-hmm. like you to, to get to that place where they can actually have whole and healthy, mm-hmm. uh, full relationships. So I, I guess I would say to uh, people listening, we would encourage you to to read Dr. Palfi's book, Men Too, 
Unspoken Truths About Male Sexual Abuse. Though I do want to tell you, it's not an easy book. And it, I, I don't know about you, Kelly, but I would not recommend it for kids to read or mm, probably not probably not it's geared towards 18 and above and you know just just to say like there there's very little graphic detail there's a tiny bit just to explain the concept but it's just stories about yeah. how hard the struggles that the right. males had right yeah yeah it's raw heartbreaking very real and mm. but i can I can believe incredibly validating, incredibly helpful for those who have this in their story. So thank you for the work you've done on this. Keep doing it. Thank you. We've got your backs. (laughs) Thank you. Your back. Well, I appreciate that. Friends, once again, Mm kellypalfy.com, K-E-L-L-I-P-A-L-F-Y.com. To stay in touch. Um, Yeah. Thanks so much for that. And and if you want to check out more of the Family Life Canada podcasts, please go to familylifecanada.com. Uh, always want to be honest. Always talk about real things. Always want to present hope. And you've done all of that today. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Thank Kelly. You. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks to you listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again next time. Okay. Bye.